God has put each one of us on this planet for us to carry out a specific task or a specific assignment. But most people live and die and they never know why he put them here. And I think too many people are living and dying. Yeah. And I think that's why God wanted this book. And, it, uh, and you know, he just said to me, uh, write a book. in life is a very meaning of our existence and without knowing this we often suffer from the ignorance of our own insignificance we fall prey to the illusion that our lives don't matter and we have no connection or impact in the world around us today's guest is a speaker a tv host founder of a non-profit organization and the author of journey to your calling janice leggins Janice will be sharing with us personal stories of how God helped her overcome some obstacles in life, as well as how she was able to discover her purpose in life. Hello, Janice, and welcome to Podcast with Sheila. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very much excited to be here. <laughs> it's a delight to host you on today's uh, episode. Before we set the ball rolling, would you care to share uh, with us your background story where you come from, stuff like that, just so that our listeners will appreciate the our guest for today. Sure. So I am uh, from Maryland, United States. I'm in Maryland. Maryland is very, very, pretty much just outside of Washington, D.C. So I'm considered within what they call the Washington metropolitan area, um, which is just right next to Washington, D.C. I'm one of nine children eight girls and one boy. I am girl number three from the top. And we've had some real um, beautiful moments in our family. I think it was an enchanted childhood. My father was the most righteous man I've ever known. Mm -hmm. My mother was mother to everybody. Nine children wasn't enough. She would, you know, our friends would come <laughs> and visit and they'd stay for dinner. And it was like, she just didn't have enough. Um, so, but we've lost, we've had some several, four losses in our family, oh, mother and father and two of my sisters oh, yeah. have passed. And, and, and I write about all four of them uh, in the book because the book. leaving, you know, having someone leave you, especially my baby sister, one of the sisters was my baby sister. Oh. And that was, that was hard, but I even wrote a tribute to her. Um, and I call the tribute, A Beautiful Passing because I saw God in mm. her passing. Mm. I, and I thought he handled, and it, that tribute is in the book as well. Um, and I call it a beautiful passing. And I talk about how he was so gracious and merciful and loving mm. in, in how she passed. You know, gracious because um, um, her brother-in-law was in town for Thanksgiving was going to have Thanksgiving with them. Mm -hmm. And she died in her sleep. Mm -hmm. But her husband had been out jogging. And when he got back, her alarm went off. And he was thinking, well, why is she answering her alarm? Yeah. And he went in to check on her and found her dead. So she was but never sick, she, nothing. She was healthy, but just went she, to bed. She had been sick. 
Okay. As a matter of fact, she had had three heart attacks that year. Oh, yeah. She died the she died um, the night before um, Thanksgiving. Well, she really Thanksgiving morning is when he discovered her. And oh, I look at it so differently because we are spirit. Mm-hmm. We just live. We're in this in natural. Body. We live in this, we need a body only because we're on this planet called Earth, which is a natural planet. So we need a body in order to live in this natural world. But we are spirit. And I think actually uh, the reason why the Lord had me write this book and he had me write the book, it was not my idea to write a book. I'd never considered writing a book. But I believe the reason he wanted us, wanted this book in the Earth is because God has put each one of us on this planet for us to carry out a specific task or a specific assignment. But most people live and die and they never know why he put them here. And I think too many people are living and dying. Yeah. And I think that's why God wanted this book in the earth. And, you know, he just said to me, uh, write a book. I was in my kitchen one day minding my own business (laughs) and he just said write a book and the title he gave me the title but the title just went right past me and right after he gave me the title I said Lord I have nothing to tell the people so I asked you to write the book through me and he did ideas just started flowing like water I mean every day I had the keep paper with me all day every day no matter where I went because I never knew when the ideas would start or stop and I'd scribble them down as fast as I could and I couldn't write whole sentences because if I did I'd miss the next thing that yeah. was coming yeah and I just scribbled words and topics yeah. yeah at the end of three weeks it stopped and so I just mm. started organizing mm. the scribbles into groups and those groups then I realized were to be my chapters and um, those chapters then became my table of contents for the book. And you could still see the little scribbles within each group. So that meant the whole book was outlined from cover to cover mm. before I ever wrote the first sentence. Mm. And I didn't plan to do that. That's just the way the Lord led me um, to do it. And so, and then I, um, I said, Lord, how do I write the book? Mm. Because I was so busy uh, doing with the, the nonprofit. Yeah. Uh, and so I was so busy. I said, how do I write the book? And basically I was asking him, how do I fit it in? And he said, arise early at five. So every morning at five o'clock, I would get up and I would grab my laptop. I'd prop myself in the bed and my fingers would just go. I, my, I never had, I wrote every day for six months, averaging two to three hours a day. And I never had one second of writer's block. And that's how I know the Lord wrote the book. Not only did I never have writer's block for six months, but I, did, I was learning as I was writing. Yeah, it was my, my fingers were moving, but it was the Holy Spirit leading me to what to say and I was learning as I was writing I did not already know all of that stuff in the book 
you know, there's a lot of me and my stories in the book. And so I did know my stories. I didn't know what happened, but there's a lot of things. There's lots of scripture in the book. Every page has scripture. And, um, but I'm grateful. I think the Lord wanted this book in the earth so that more people would understand how to come into their calling. Right. As you were talking, a lot of questions kept popping in my head and I really want to ask, I'll try to, try to ask all of them. One okay. of them is, how do you know the voice of God? Because usually you hear people say, God spoke to me. Yeah. Just like he said, he said, God spoke to me, write a book. Yes. How would you know this is God speaking to me and not me speaking to myself? Yes. And in the beginning, it's always us thinking it's our own thought in the beginning. When you first get saved and you first, so that the, you, you first start trying to hear from or talk to the Lord, you always think it's your own self. Yeah. It, it, takes, it takes a while for you to learn how to discern God's voice versus your own thought versus the adversary's voice. Mm -hmm. So even in the book, although I say that God's voice is soft, gentle, leading and encouraging. Uh, the adversary is loud, bold, enticing and discouraging. In addition to that, God always speaks to us in our heart. The adversary speaks to us in our mind. Mm. He'll give us a thought mm. and he, because he's trying to, he's trying to make us change our thinking. So he always speaks to us in the mind. God always speaks to us in our heart. Now, in, before I realized that, I would hear something like, call this person, call that person. And I didn't want to call the person. <laughs> so I wouldn't call the person. I just kept thinking, because I thought it was my idea to call that person. I thought I was having a thought to call that person. Yeah. I, don't wanna, I didn't want to call the person, so I did it. And this went on, it would go here, go there. So I kept hearing that, but I kept thinking it was me. But then one day, it just dawned on me, just shut up. That's not God, because God doesn't talk like that. I used to say, I don't have to call this person. I don't have to call that person. Yeah. And I wouldn't. But God doesn't talk like that. God doesn't say, hmm, I don't have to do this. Hmm, I don't have to do that. That's not God. So once I realized that my refusal to obey that, what that was, was just the adversary trying to talk to me. Because mm -hmm. I, what I thought was my idea was God telling me to do something and the adversary was saying I don't have to do this I don't have so I made up my mind at that point but the next time I heard that voice call this person go here that I would obey and within a short time sure enough I heard it again call this person well I did not want to call the person <laughs> because our flesh never wants to yeah. obey God yeah yeah ever yeah. Yeah. And so I did not want to call the person, but I made myself do it. The Bible says we are to bring our flesh under subjection Objection. and make it obey. And that's what I did. I brought my flesh under subjection and made it obey. And I called the person and 
I prayed before I called a person. I even prayed for the person that God would go before me and touch that person's heart to be open and receptive to my plight, to my call. And when I finished the call and I hung up the phone, I just flopped back in my chair in amazement. And I just said, God, you are so awesome. Because the whole purpose of me making that phone call was that person had been thinking of me and wanted to bless me. So the whole purpose of the phone call was for me to get blessed. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay. So that's how it works. And from then on, it made it easier for me to obey because, and the key is, is bringing your flesh under subjection and make it obey because it's only in our obedience that we grow. It's only in our obedience that we mature. God will continue. He has no hands, but our hands and no mouth, but our mouth, no voice, but our voice. So he needs us to obey him. And he teaches us just like with a baby, you wouldn't give an infant baby a, a cup of coffee. He can't handle that. He has to grow up and mature. So you, he, God works with us. He'll tell us to do little things, not big things. In the beginning, it'll always be little things as we begin to train our body um, to obey. And so I began to uh, make myself obey. And we were saying earlier that we're spirit. Well, we're spirit living in flesh. Well, the word tells us in this flesh dwelleth no good thing. Yeah. No good thing. So the world we live in makes our flesh seem like this ever important thing. You know, the better looking we are, the more popular we are. The yeah. more money you have, the you know, the more famous you are. The more that no. It's not that's a deception. This whole world is a deception. Yeah. And we have to always remember we are spirit and and feed our spirit as mm-hmm. much as we feed our, our bodies okay we feed our, we feed our bodies every day we exercise our bodies you know we we decorate it put it you know want to make it look good yeah but that's not who we really are who we really are is the spirit on the inside do we feed that spirit if you have two lions and these two lions are in a cage side by side one lion gets 20 pounds of steak every day and he's able to get out of the cage and run around to get exercise the other lion gets a bowl of just garbage every day and he's never allowed to out to exercise well at the end of 30 days those two lions are going to fight they have to fight who do you think is going to win the one that is properly fed the one properly fed and exercised. So our body, if we feed our body and exercise our body every day and ignore our spirit, then our body is going to be stronger than our spirit. Wow. Our body is going to rule. It wants what it wants. It has, our body has a mind of its own. It wants what it wants and it wants it now. More alcohol. Give me more drugs. No, I want 15 packs of cigarettes every day. Mm. Our mm. body wants what it wants and it will demand what it wants to the point of killing us. I know yeah. alcoholics who drank, even after they were told, 
your your liver can't take anymore. Mm-hmm. I have a, a cousin, a first cousin, who died in her late 30s because she had become such an alcoholic that it just destroyed her liver. And they told her, if you take another drink, it's going to take you out of here. She did good for about three or four months, but she went right back to the alcohol and, and she died. So in that sense, the more you grow your spirit, man, the lesser your 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 flesh will grow. Is it the desires of the flesh grows? So it's like on the scale. The more you grow your spirit, man, then the desires of the flesh diminishes. So then yes. your spirit, man, gets to control your whole yes. being. Your your spirit your spirit has to be in control. Period. Yeah. You got a spirit, and He made us in spirit. We are spirit, and our spirit our spirit. If we don't control our body our body will control us yeah and yeah. so how many times have we eaten too many potato chips okay so you can put potato chips or ice cream mm. or drugs mm. or alcohol or sex our body wants whatever it wants yeah and it will demand it and um, and we have to say no we don't eat that anymore yeah. we don't go there anymore we don't do that anymore we don't say that anymore no so we have to punish our body, make our body obey. Yeah. Now, one of the ways that I learned to do that, in addition to just from a spiritual perspective, mm-hmm. praying, feed our, we have to feed our body the word of God, which means pray, praise God for whatever he has done. Thank God for everything that he has done. Um, ask him questions, because the Bible says we're to pray without ceasing. Yeah. And I used to wonder, how do you pray without ceasing? You have to go to work, you have to go to school, you have to well talk to god every day every day ask him lord what would you have me do about this how should i handle that yeah how should i handle this other thing yeah you know thank you god for this thank you for that thank you for the other yeah praise him thank him worship him praise him every day and ask him questions ask him questions so that's feeding your spirit all of that is feeding your spirit and then denying your flesh no and one of the main ways to learn how to deny your flesh is through fasting. Yeah. The Bible talks about the Daniel fast, the 21-day fast. Mm-hmm. Well, I ended up doing the Daniel fast. 2010 was a very difficult year for me. And I ended up doing the Daniel fast four times in that one year. Yeah. So the Daniel fast is 21 days, which is basically a month. So it means like four months out of the year, I was fasting. But now I've gotten so accustomed to fasting that I changed the way I eat altogether because I felt so much better when I was fasting. And so I like that. And so I just decided to change my my whole approach to to eating. Let's talk about... Sorry, let's talk about some moments in life that you you saw, you actually saw the hand of God in your life, you knew that for this situation, if it had not been God, I wouldn't have been able to come out of it. Um, that's a good one. So I know that when I went through, God had me in a, um, he had led me to start a business. And when I started the business, it was going well. This is when I was doing the government contracting. And I was ready to, I felt led to, instead of helping other companies get government contracts, 
I wanted my company to get government contracts. And I'm talking about $15 million contracts, $22 million contracts. And um, so I went through the process of getting the certification to get my company certified so I could get those contracts. That was um, in 2010. And right at that point, everything started, doors started slamming shut. Everything I had, everything I've touched just completely collapsed. Well, let me back up two years before that. In 2008, the Lord had told me, um, someone approached me and said, Janice, you should participate in Leadership Maryland. I think you'll like it. And I just said, nah, I didn't even know what Leadership Maryland was at the time. I just mm-hmm. said, nah, because I was so busy with the business. Yeah. And then the next year, 2009, another business colleague, both of these people have been, been clients of mine. And so another business colleague, a female says, Janice, you should do Leadership Maryland. It'll be good for you. And I said, you know, somebody else said that. So I decided to apply. I applied, I was accepted. They get four or 500 um, applications every year, but they only select 52. So I was one of the 52 oh. in the class of 2010. Oh. The unique thing about that in 2010 is I had, in 2008 and nine, when they were asking me to check out Leadership Maryland, I said no, but at the same time, I was in a spiritual state of discernment, like never before. I could, it's almost like I could see beyond the visible. Mm-hmm. I, it, I could tell, I just kept sensing something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Something is wrong. Something, but when I thought something is wrong, it was related directly to black men. Mm-hmm. Something is wrong. And everywhere I went, whether it was at the grocery store or mm-hmm. church or in my community, everywhere I went, I just kept thinking something is wrong, but I had no clue what it was. Oh. I just knew it was pervasive, mm-hmm. but I had no clue what it was. Well. I believe the Lord led me and orchestrated for me to be in that leadership program because I didn't even have to interview. Mm. Um, I was accepted because two of the board members recommended me. And the first guy who suggested I should try it, and then my company had won two awards uh, as top 100 minority business, and the woman who led that also recommended me. She was chairman of the board, but I didn't know that. And so at any rate, in the process of going through that leadership program, I got to go into the first prison. I had I had never been in a prison. And I didn't know the difference between a jail or a prison or where one was located. And I was very proud of the fact that I didn't know because that meant that yeah. world does not touch my world. Yeah. And I was proud of the fact that that world didn't touch my world. But pride is blinding. Mm. So I was blind as a bat to what was going on right under my nose. And when we took the visit with that group to the prison, they broke the 52 of us up into small groups of six. Mm. So I was being escorted with my other five partners, escorted through the prison on an intimate tour And as we were going through, I would see young men being escorted in or out of the prison. And they were all black. Everybody we saw who was an inmate was black. 
Mm-hmm. And they, they might have, there were a couple other people who were not black, but the majority were black. And as I was walking past these men who were being escorted by me, past us, I spoke to each one of them. Mm-hmm. I said, hello, because they look like my son. They look like my cousins. They look like my nephews. They yeah. look like men in my church. Yeah. I thought everybody in prison must be a monster. And no, I kept thinking these guys are not monsters. You know, I had never been to a prison. I didn't know what to expect. And so we had an intimate tour and got to the part where you could see the officer pushing buttons and all of the monitors on the wall. And you could see the guys going in the rooms and out of rooms. And I said, I want to go in. Mm-hmm. And so the officer says, um, well, the captain says, well, number seven should be empty. So when I went to go in, the other ladies with me, the other five said, I want to go. I, I kind of didn't want them to go with, I, I didn't try to stop them, mm-hmm. but I didn't really want them to go with me because we were not having the same experience. Yeah. You know, we were not, they were not black and I was. Yeah. And everybody I saw mm-hmm. behind bars was black. Yeah. And so we were not having the same experience, but they every all of us went into the cell, and I asked the gentleman, the officer, to close the door, and he says, "Are you sure, ma'am?" And I said, "Close the door." And when I heard the clink of that cell door closing, my life changed. That moment, in that instant, my life changed. And mind you. I knew that I was supposed to do something about prisons, but I had no clue what. And mind you, I'm still active in the company. As a matter of fact, the whole, this, this leadership program was a year long. Mm-hmm. So, and it took quite a commitment because we had to pack our bags every month and we were gone two and a half days a month with this leadership program. So mm-hmm. it was quite a commitment, yeah. but While in the business side, everything was collapsing around me, all of the doors were slamming shut. Right when I thought the company was at the precipice of of just mushrooming, Mm -hmm. instead, everything is closing and falling. And the thing that kept me going was being in that leadership program, I knew God was working in me at that the first day we met everyone, we had to tell everybody in the room something about ourselves that no one knew. Well, some people said, when I was young, I did this. When I was young, I did that. When it came to me, um, everybody was a first name basis. And so he saw my name on my badge. And he says, Janice, tell us something about yourself that nobody knows. Nobody in the room knows. And I didn't think about what I was going to say. I have the gift of exhortation. And as an exhorter, you know, you, you just open your mouth and you expect the Lord to speak. Yeah, yeah. And so when you ask me, what do you tell us something about yourself that nobody knows? I said, I love to be led by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I, I didn't know what I was going to say, but I sure didn't think I was going to say that because I didn't know those people. This is not a church. And I thought, they're going to think I'm just, you know, this holy roller crazy person. Yeah. But he said, so you love to be led by the Holy Spirit. Well, I ended up, when it came out, I just said, okay, God, we're on. Because mm-hmm. I figured this must be what he wanted me to say. Yeah. So I just said, we're on. So he says, 
the leader says, so you like to be led by the Holy Spirit. And why is that? Mm -hmm. And I said, because it's always an adventure. Mm. And that's how I look at this experience, this walk with the Lord. It's just an adventure. You never know what he's going to tell you. But the more you walk with him, the more you obey him, the more you realize it's always going to work out on your good, for your good. So whatever it is, the Bible even tells us that the natural mind cannot comprehend the things of God. So you, what he tells us to do may not make sense. It may not make sense. And most likely it will not make sense to your natural mind. But if God said, do it, just do it. If God says, do it, he will walk you through it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So just, just obey. And yeah. so, but with the, what was happening, the, the good thing that was happening was the experience I was having in the leadership program. But at the same time, that was 2010. Also in 2010, on the business side, everything was crumbling. That's when I did the Daniel fast four times yeah. in my year. Because mm -hmm. I said, God, I didn't want to be like Peter walking on the water. Peter did good as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But the mm -hmm. minute he looked at his circumstances, mm -hmm. he began to say, yeah. I did not want to be like Peter. I wanted to. I knew I needed to keep both eyes on the Lord. That's why I did the fast, because I needed to bring my flesh under subjection. Anything I did not, it's not that my flesh wanted something, it's just that my spirit needed to hear from the Lord. I did not understand what was going on. The only thing I know is in the midst of every bad situation, no matter how bad the situation is, there's always something good. There's always something positive. Focus on the good because that's where God is. And yeah. so even though everything was crumbling all around me with my business, I still felt God was working in that leadership program. He was working in me in that leadership program. So I focused on that. And at the end of um, the year, we had a conversation where we could talk about anything, the 52 of us together. And we, different ones could ask different questions. And they posted it on the, ball, on, the wall, on the wall as if you were in a conference and you could pick at nine o'clock, there are three workshops you could pick from. And so mine was like a nine o'clock workshop, my question. Mm. And I had about 15 people in my group who wanted, my question was, how did the prison visit impact you? Because we visited that prison in July. But this was not till October that mm. we're having this discussion. The prison visit would not leave me. I couldn't let it go. So I asked my classmates, how did the prison visit impact you? And that really sparked a, a discussion where just everybody in the room was either crying or dabbing their eyes or their yeah. head was down. It was a riveting experience for everyone. And at the end of that day, um, that was a Friday. That Sunday, I sat at my computer and I sent an email out to all of my classmates. And I said, anytime you witness an emotional reaction from everyone in the room over one singular topic, you're witnessing the genesis of an assignment, yeah. a clarion call to action. Mm. Well, mm. I didn't know it then, but it was the genesis of my assignment. 
it was the genesis of my assignment. And they loved it. My classmates loved it. You know, um, when I said we're witnessing the genesis of an assignment, a clarion call to action, they started naming it the clarion call. Mm -hmm. Mm. So that my nonprofit's name is the clarion call. Mm. And that's how it got its name. And I knew that those two years that God was, that I said I was in a spiritual state of perception. I could, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. Two years before I entered into that leadership program, God was already preparing my heart mm. Mm. to become sensitive to the needs of the people in the community as related to prison and mass incarceration. I didn't know what, when I was in that state of perception for 2008 and nine, I didn't know what it was. I just knew something is wrong. Something is wrong. So at the end of, at the, end of the leadership program, God ended up having me, I, I sensed that I was to just, my business was falling anyway. And I think God was closing those doors because he was opening this other door. Mm. And so I didn't fight it because I did. I tried as hard as I could. I didn't realize it was God closing doors. I was trying as hard as nothing I touched manifest. I had the government waiting on me to get my certification. They had, I had managed the contract for a client for five years. And now they wanted me to have it for my own company. Even that, I couldn't, that felt good. So I had to just let it go. I had to just, for my own sanity's sake, I had to just yeah. let it go and focus on what God was showing me with this other area called prisons and jails and mass incarceration. Just as in the Bible, he told Abraham to leave all that was familiar and go to this far distant land that I will show you. Well, he did the same thing with me. I had to leave the government contracting arena and all that was familiar to me and go to this far distant land called prisons and jails and mass incarceration and nonprofits. And I knew nothing about any of it, nothing. And so the next year, 2011, I sat at my home office every day, all day, all I did was research. Because how could I work in an arena that I knew nothing about? And so at the, for a solid year, I did nothing but research. And at the end of that year, I thought, okay, great, I got it. And I put together a PowerPoint presentation and I started going around doing speaking engagements. So I went from not knowing anything about this topic to being a speaker. And, but that, that's how God had it. And so I figured if I didn't know about all of the trappings then there are a lot of other people who don't know about all of the trappings that lead to prison. And so I started going around telling people, he even told me to do a TV show. And so I have a TV show. It's called the Clarion Call TV show. And so on the Clarion Call TV show, I taught, you know, he told me to do showcase shows and issue shows. So the showcase shows are, I would actually invite other nonprofits onto the show and I would showcase the good work that they were doing in the community. And for the issue shows, I would have a topic. And like one topic was mass incarceration. So I had people who, you know, one guy used to be, um, ran his former police, former 
head of homicide, and now he was the deputy secretary for operations for the whole State Department of, of Corrections. He was on the panel. I had several different people on the plan. A former warden was on the panel. And we talked about mass incarceration. And so that's how, you know, that was, that was, that was a God shift. You know, that was God. He was blessing me with the business, but he was already beginning to prepare my heart in 2008 and 2009 when I was going through that state of spiritual perception. He was already preparing my heart to receive what he wanted me to do. So the title of the book is Journey to Your Calling. And the subtitle is The Path to Receive the Desires of Your Heart. Well